Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. There you go. That sounds better. I tell you what, is it spring or what? You know, it's it's what a beautiful weekend it's been. It doesn't seem like it's the middle of January, but uh, we are grateful that you are here today, and we're glad that that you're here. And hope God's going to bless you in a very special way. We uh, welcome our guests, especially this morning. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here and, and hope that uh, you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Uh, let me remind everyone of our, of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take those and fill them out. Give us whatever information you feel comfortable giving to us and, and pass it down the row so others can fill it out as well. Just put your name, address, and phone number, and email address and check the appropriate box. And especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please be sure to put your email address on there. It's a great way to keep up with the activities uh, that we're participating in at Community Baptist Church. Uh, some of those activities I'd like to highlight today. First of all, we will be uh, having our, our blood drive. We do this three or four times a year. And our next one is coming up on February the 8th. And if you would like to volunteer for that or if you would like to make a... Uh, uh, a reservation for, uh, for giving blood, then see Jika, and she will be glad to sign you up. And on Wednesday nights, we have begun a, uh, a Bible study series about time. A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the passage from Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. You know the song, you know, that the birds made comp- uh, popular, turn, 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 you know. Uh, so we did a study on that, and then this past week, we did a study on a time for justice, and this next week uh, we will be studying a time for light. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. We'll have uh, supper at 5:45, and then our Bible study at 6:30. And uh, after the worship service today, if you wouldn't mind, some of you, if you're able-bodied, to uh, help us to move some of the chairs and set up some tables. We have a uh, bereavement lunch tomorrow, and so we need some help setting up for that, if you don't mind. And uh, and finally. Uh, since this is January, I want to bring us a, a little financial update uh, where we where we stand. I know some of you may be curious about that, uh, and, and you'll be getting a letter from me this this next week. Um, and and actually, I need some volunteers. So I need come on, Wyatt, come on. I, I need some more. I need about four or five. Okay, come on up here. I need some more. I need a couple more. What? Okay, come on, Lily. We're going to get all the children in here. We probably need at least one adult here. <laughs> okay, well, Gracie, come on up. Come on, come on, Rachel. so we can see how long it is. Uh, some of you have seen this before. Uh, this is uh, the, the representation of our Unleashed uh, Debt Reduction Campaign. And uh, we have been working on that all of since the beginning of 2016, or just a little bit after the beginning of 2016. And I want to let you know that we had a good December. Uh, we were not in great shape at the end of November, and uh, but you came through and want to thank you for that. We replenished some of our reserves. We were digging into our reserves pretty significantly during the year, and we replenished some of our reserves during de- December. I'd personally like to see a little more in our reserves, but that's what faith is all about. Um, but uh, your finance team thinks that we are ready to attack our debt again in a very big way. And we have done a wonderful job. You see, we have two chains here. 
Uh, one of these chains, the long one, represents the total debt that we had from the very beginning of our debt, which was about 20 years ago. That represents $1.2 million, folks. That, took, that's, that was the initial loan that we have. Each one of the links in this chain represents $10,000. Uh, so that long one has 120 links in it. The shorter chain represents where we stand right now. As I said, each link represents $10,000. In November, if you remember, if you were here, we cut 10 links from this short chain, representing almost $100,000 from the very beginning of the year. They're in here, folks. <laughs> They're in here. We're going to keep these. Um, and today we want to cut some more. We want to cut two links representing another $20,000. And we're almost ready for a third link. So that makes 12 links in one year, almost $120,000. There's another $20,000 we've paid off on our loan, folks. Wonderful job. You are doing a great job with this. Amen. We are going to continue this. We are going to collect all of these links, all of these $10,000 links, and, and probably at the end we'll put the whole thing together, and we're going to shred them and, make a, uh, and put them in a graffiti uh, Canon here, and we'll just have a big celebration here. So thank you for your, your faithfulness to our church and, and to your contributions. We are, we're, we're turning everybody loose, folks. I know I told you in November to kind of hold back and kind of give more to our general fund. We need both. We need both. We cannot ignore our general fund uh, monies as well. Because we need to, uh, we need finances to just keep things going, to keep our ministries running on a day-to-day -day basis. But we also, in our long term, we need to get rid of this debt. And so we're working towards both. It's a balancing act, but we're doing very well. Thank you so much. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord.
Let us stand together as we sing to God be the glory. Gracious God, we come to this place this morning to recommit ourselves to being faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. However, if we are ever going to truly follow Jesus, we will need to turn away from our love of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And we do love it. We gather in this place Sunday after Sunday to hear preaching that will remind us that we are loved and forgiven not to hear that we need to change our ways. We gather to remember the way we came up out of the waters of baptism to symbolize abundant and eternal life, not to remember our immersion into the waters to symbolize death to self. We come to gather around a table to receive the gift of Holy Communion, not to confess our sins and our shortcomings. And we come to this place to receive grace and love, not to, encourage, not to be encouraged to, to share grace and love with others. And we come here to worship at the foot of the cross, but not to pick it up and carry it ourselves. We come here to worship Christ in the safety and comfort of the sanctuary, not realizing that Christ is actually alive today, present here, calling us, prodding us, pulling us to follow him into a risky and uncomfortable world. And so, God, forgive us. Forgive us for our love of cheap grace. Help us to turn away from it and seek to live for a grace that is worthy of your sacrificial love, even if it is costly to us. May we come to this place to seek your grace Sunday after Sunday. And may we keep asking Keep knocking at your door. Keep giving our lives away to you and keep denying ourselves and looking to you for the strength that we need to pick up our crosses and to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wherever he leads us. Because we know that this grace, even though it may cost us our very lives, it is the true way to true life abundant life, and eternal life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
sure you all. glasses on. Now I can see you all. Y'all look good. Has anybody ever been fishing? Really? Awesome. What'd you take with you? Really? What else? Huh? Bait? What kind of bait? Worms. Can I have worms? I got some worms. You want a worm? That one has a hook in it. Here, catch it. <laughs> Here, I got another one. Oh, that's jumping. Well, I tell you, fishing is awesome. It's one of my passions. Good shot. Um, I, I, I love fishing because it takes you out in nature, and you feel like you're one with the world. I even throw in my earbuds and listen to little Britney Spears and <laughs> jamming and, oh, oh, boys to men, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, I tell you what, Mark was, or Matthew, Matthew, today's little reading was, was about two brothers who were out there fishing in the Sea of Galilee, Okay. And lo and behold, Jesus saw them out there fishing. One had a pole, one had a net, and they were just throwing it over the side of the boat. And they weren't doing it for fun, okay? They were doing it to make a living, okay? And they fish. Yeah, they, they catch the fish, and then they go to, go to the market, go, go down to their Circle K and sell their fish. And, um, so they, they have to do that to you know, line their pockets and feed their families. And they even had two buddies on shore, okay? And Jesus was sitting there watching them. Lo and behold, I think it was Simon, Peter, and Andrew that was out there, okay? And and one of them broke, broke their net, and they had to come ashore. And their two buddies were fixing their net. Uh, forgot their names. But anyway, Jesus approached them and said, instead of fishing for fish, won't I make you fishers of men? What do you think that means? What? No, 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 no. Fishers of men. So basically, he was asking them to follow him Okay, he was asking the two brothers to follow Jesus so they could get more people together for his flock. Okay, they really enjoyed what Jesus had to say about that. And Jesus' word is about what? You didn't know you were going to get quiz, did you? Okay, well, I'm, what, what was Jesus' big thing? You've heard me say it before. Love. Go ahead. Love everybody. You know what those fellers did? They laid down their nets. They laid down their pole. They walked away from their boat. And they followed Jesus. Yeah. For like three years. And then they became disciples. And later, saints. You say, how in the world can I be one to follow Jesus? How can you do that? What's a good way? Or scowl? Do you want to scowl? Or do you want to smile? You can share Jesus' love through smiles. You all can be fishers of men by spreading your wisdom to us older folks because you all are our foundation. Okay? Oh, by the way, if you want to, I know it's open enrollment for the choir. So you all can 
feel free to join the choir to sing. Okay? Amen. There you go. <laughs> Bow your head with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for wonderful children. Thank you for their enlightenment to us. Thank you very much, Jesus, for this wonderful day. May you bless the preacher as he gives us his word. And may we have the wisdom to listen to those we love most, and that's these children. We say this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. want to thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to get together and just come and uh, worship your name, Lord. And I pray for Dr. Hobbs as he brings us your message, Lord. I pray that we have open eyes and open hearts to what he has to bring to us, Lord, and that we could just uh, apply it to this coming week, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.
Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew uh, 4, verses 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived to Capernaum. Capernaum. Capernaum, there we go. Chris has been helping me with this, and I still am not getting it. <laughs> Which was by the, by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From this time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, from the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
an enrollment special during January here. Uh, and we've got a couple of new members. I, got, I think we have a, a, a new soprano and a new tenor, so we need a new bass and a new outro here. Uh, we need to round it out. We're looking. Come on, folks. Um, you may be looking at, uh, at the sermon title today and, and think, not a fan. What, is that, what does that mean? You ever, you ever use that expression? Yeah, I'm not a fan, you know. Uh, somebody, somebody might come up to you and say, me anyway. They might say, wasn't that just the greatest banana pudding you've ever, ever eaten? And I'm going, sorry, not a fan. <laughs> I don't like bananas. You know, so there's no, for, for me, there's no such thing as a good banana pudding. But, but I know that that's a, a matter of opinion. Well, Kyle Eidelman has written a wonderful little book t- titled, Not a Fan. And the subtitle is, Becoming a Totally Committed Follower of Jesus. And he begins by noting that according to a recent survey, the percentage of Americans who claim to be Christians is somewhere around 75% or actually a little bit more than that. Really, he asks, three out of four people are followers of Jesus? Let's see. If the population of the United States is about 311 million people and 75% are Christians, that brings the number of Christians up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 233 million. That's a lot of Christians. But in his estimation, there's something wrong with that number. Because, as he says, if there really are that many Christians, then why will 35 million people in America go to bed hungry tonight, including 13 million children? If 75% of Americans are Christians, then why are there more than 120,000 children waiting to be adopted? The numbers just don't add up. Jesus said that the evidence that someone is one of his followers is love. And so 233 million, says Eidelman, the evidence just isn't there. So what's the explanation for this discrepancy, he asks. Well, he tells us, uh, he tells about an article that he read a, a few years ago about a group that the article called the New Vegetarians. And these new vegetarians don't eat meat, or at least most of the time. One of them explained that she was a vegetarian, but she really likes bacon. (laughs) And so she eats bacon. Now, a vegetarian, by definition, is someone who doesn't eat meat, says Eidelman. Um, Yeah. But isn't bacon a meat? Is it really accurate for her to identify herself as a vegetarian? And then he says that this discrepancy was solved by coming up with a new term to describe these vegetarians who aren't really committed to abstaining from meat. Now they identify themselves as flexitarians. (laughs) I could be one of those. Then he says, a Christian, by definition, is a follower of Christ. So I'm thinking that what might help make sense of this 233 million number is is that a new word needs to be used to describe people who identify themselves as Christians. But they don't really have that much interest in in following the teachings of Jesus. Perhaps instead of followers, it would be more accurate to call them fans. The word fan is most simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. And I think that Jesus has a lot of fans. And some of those fans may even get up and get dressed on Sunday morning and come to church. And, and they might even make their ringtone into a, a, a worship song. And, and they like being associated with Jesus. Fans want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. 
They want a no-strings-attached kind of relationship with Jesus. And so a fan says, I like Jesus, but don't ask me to serve the poor. Or I like Jesus, but I'm not going to give any money to people who are in need. They, they need to get a job. Or I like Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive the person who has hurt me. Or I like Jesus, but don't talk to me about money. You see, fans like Jesus just fine, but they don't want to give up the bacon. Well, today's passage from Matthew's Gospel is about four men who were called by Jesus to be disciples. They were, they were not called to be fans. They were called to be followers. Their names were Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, four fishermen. But folks, I think that this, this reading is, is really about you and me as well. Because we have all been called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We have all been called to be followers, not fans. And so I'll let you decide which group you belong to. But first let's ask, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, let's notice how ordinary these four men were. Let's think about that for a minute. They had no formal education that we know of. They did not possess any particular personal attractiveness or any extraordinary talent that we know of beyond catching fish. They were talented at that. They were just ordinary fishermen. And, and, and you know, we, we often, I think, make the mistake of assuming that God calls only the most impressive and only the most gifted and only the most talented people to serve God. But you know, if you take a close look at the subject, it, it, it seems to be just the opposite. I mean, look at me. But I'm not alone. God came to Moses and told him to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses responded, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh? I can't speak well enough to carry on such a mission. God came to Gideon, who would later be a great leader of God's people, but Gideon responded, Why me? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, the smallest of all tribes, and, and I am the least important person in my family. And even that most successful of all of Israel's kings, King David, was flabbergasted by call, God's call to him. I'm only a poor man and not well known, David said, when Samuel anointed him as king. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that God has deliberately chosen what the world considers foolish. And you know what? I think he's talking about you and me. You see, God chooses ordinary people to do God's work so that they will depend upon God's power and not theirs. And for this reason, Paul says... No one will ever be able to boast in the presence of God. The late John McKay was for many years the coach of uh, University of Southern California Trojans. And later he went on to coach the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL. He was a known as a uh, superb football coach. But McKay once said that it's not the superstars who win most football games. It's the average players giving their very best. And I'm sure that a Hall of Fame coach like John McKay understands the value of having players of a certain level of, of talent. You know, if you put me out there, he's probably not going to win. You have to have some, some talent there. But he also understood that a lot of talented players never fulfill their potential because of their lack of commitment. In the play Green Pastors, God asked Gabriel to recruit a leader, and Gabriel asked God, do you want the brainiest or do you want the holiest? And God answered, give me the holiest. I'll make him the brainiest. You know, that's the way God works. Some of God's most effective servants have been people with very modest resumes. In a little town in the Swiss Alps, there's a monument with two figures on it, 
One is a, a cultured scientist, the author of many books, and the other one is a poor Swiss peasant, an alpine guide. You see, together they conquered a great mountain. They were the first to do this, and the scientist's name appeared in all of the newspapers, but the guide was almost completely forgotten. But this monument that was erected there in in the base of the mountains, it contains both of the figures. Because it's a way of saying that this great scientist could never have made it without this humble guide. And that seems to be a pattern all throughout the scriptures. Even when, with, from the crude manger of Bethlehem, beginning there, and uh, there is no message that is more clear in the New Testament and in the Old Testament than this one. Christian faith is the celebration of ordinary people who come to possess a very extraordinary So when you're asked to serve God in some capacity, and by the way, our nominating team is at work. (laughs) So when you're asked to serve God in some capacity, don't talk yourself out of a great opportunity by saying, I can't do that. I'm too old. I don't have enough education or some other personal put down like that. God can help you with the ability, and God can teach you. And, but what God cannot give to you is the commitment and the dedication and the faithfulness. That has to come from within. And that's why God always prefers the holiest to the brainiest. That's why Christ prefers followers to fans. Those first disciples that Jesus called were ordinary Ordinary people. And notice what those ordinary individuals were called to do. They were first called to spend three years of their lives in the presence of Jesus. Now, a disciple is someone who learns, who studies with a teacher. You have that word discipline and disciple. It's It means to learn and to to grow. And so that implies that those who follow Jesus, we need to grow. And we don't blossom into mature spiritual giants overnight. That doesn't doesn't happen. It's a process that we go through. Dr. Dwayne uh, Dyer asked in one of his books, how do you distinguish between a flower that is alive and a flower that is dead? And the answer is the one that's growing is alive. He says the only evidence of life is growth. And that's the way it is with the life of the Spirit as well. One prominent evangelist complained during the 1950s when churches were literally bursting at the seams that the church really wasn't growing. It was just getting fat. In other words, people were coming to the church, but they weren't growing. They were, they were remaining spiritual infants. Infants. We are simply multiplying spiritual babies, the evangelist charged. And I'm afraid that the past century plus since then has borne that out because so many people have fallen by the wayside and and so many people have proven to be people of shallow convictions. And many of them have proven to be fans and not followers. To be alive is to grow. In Second Peter, we are encouraged to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growth is why we come to church. This is a place where most of us encounter Christ. This is a place that we learn about Christ. This is the place that we grow in our spiritual walk. And I know that there was a cry a few years ago, Jesus, yes, church, no. And folks, I'm here to tell you that that's an illusion. Follow-up studies on people involved in Christian groups not related to a local church over the past few decades back that up. It simply does not last. And like most pastors out there, I'm, I'm sometimes astounded at the casual attitude that so many people have about their responsibilities to their church. 
Sometimes I feel like the orchestra conductor who was upset over the fact that at every rehearsal at least one of the musicians in the orchestra was absent. And, and so at the final rehearsal before a big concert, he announced, I would like to thank our first trumpet player. He was the only member of this orchestra who did not miss a single rehearsal. And so the trumpet player stood and bowed as the other musicians applauded. And then he said, it was the least that I could do considering I won't be able to make it to the concert. Ah. You know what? I know how the conductor feels. Every pastor does. Because, folks, in my estimation, the work of the church is so vitally important. Our ministry to our little children and to youth and to adults is so vital to the kingdom of God because this is the place where disciples grow. This is the place where we are equipped for the work that Christ has given to us. And so I believe that the church deserves our very best loyalty and service. I'm reminded of another story about another orchestra that was giving a concert in a large church in, in England, and the place was just absolutely packed. There was, it was standing room only. And then, then afterwards, a, a casual member of that congregation flippantly asked the pastor when the church would be filled like that for a Sunday morning worship service. And the pastor answered, it will be filled when, like that conductor, I have 80 well-trained, committed, and disciplined men and women who will work with me. And oh, how the church needs that today. 80 well-trained, committed, and disciplined men and women could change a community, maybe even a nation. And I have to say that I am extremely grateful for those people in our church who give so much of themselves to the service of God and to the service of Community Baptist Church through their time and their resources. A lot of people give an awful lot of themselves. But I also have to say that the 80-20 rule applies to the church just like it does in every other organization. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the money is contributed by 20% of the people. I heard recently about a man who was given the nickname Honest John, but he was embarrassed by that. He said he didn't really deserve it, and so he asked, couldn't you just call me Fairly Honest John? Well, that sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? We want to be fairly committed in our service to Jesus. We want to be fairly committed to Bible study and worship. We want to be fairly committed to making our church what God has called it to be. But listen to this, folks. Jesus called those original followers to spend three years of their lives, day in and day out, to be his disciples, his learners, his students. And it was not enough for them to be fairly committed. Christ was calling them to be completely committed. They needed to grow. And so do we. And so this brings us to the last thing to be said this morning. These disciples were ordinary people just like we are. And they were called not just to, not, not just to go with Jesus, but also to grow with Jesus just like we are. And here's the final thing. There would come a time... <clears throat> when those disciples would no longer be called disciples, but apostles. Those who are sent out to proclaim the good news of Christ. Disciples are those who are called to come. Jesus said, come, follow me to these four disciples. Apostles are those that are sent. They are called to go. And my friends, there, there needs to come a time when we move away from being followers to being leaders, or at least, at least goers. Our church should never have any difficulty finding people to teach Bible study or to work with youth or to sing in our choir or to take on 
leadership positions or to serve in our various committees and ministries and make contacts with our community. There comes a time when mature Christians realize that it's time to move on from from being ministered to to the work of ministry itself. And I just wonder if that's not a part of the reason that Jesus chose not to remain with his disciples physically. Maybe he wanted them to understand that, that now they had the privilege and the responsibility of carrying on the work of God. You remember that scene with Simon Peter? It's after Jesus' resurrection. He asked Simon Peter three times, Simon, do you love me? And each time when Simon professed his love for Jesus, the Lord instructed him to feed my sheep. You see, that's the final step in following Jesus. It is to feed Christ's sheep. And folks, we need to move beyond caring for ourselves to caring for others. One of the most monumental works in all of the world is the Great Wall of China. And that mammoth structure stretches 1,800 miles over mountains and plains and deserts. The Chinese built it to keep out barbarians, but for the Chinese themselves, it became a barrier to progress. Isolated behind that wall from others, they quit progressing as a people. And that same thing can happen to us as individuals, as communities, as a nation, as a church. And don't get me wrong, great things happen within the walls of this church. And I'm so proud of it. But if we never see ourselves as apostles that are sent out in ministry to the world, then we will become stagnant and we'll die in our spiritual pilgrimage. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called four men, Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, and two other brothers, James and John. He called them to leave their nets and to follow him. He called them not to be fans, but to be followers. Just four ordinary men. But look at all the extraordinary things that God did through them. The first part of their pilgrimage was spent in fellowship with Christ and with other believers in order that they might grow in their spiritual maturity. But there came a time when in order to continue their growth, they discovered that they had to become teachers and missionaries and leaders of local churches and servants, both of the Word and of the world. And listen to this, folks. That's our calling as well. To move beyond being a fan of Jesus Christ. To be a follower. Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn, Only Trust Him. That's what we're called to do, to trust in the Lord. And for some reason, I don't know, those four fishermen trusted the Lord enough to follow Him. I hope we can as well. Let's put our trust in the Lord. Because He's the only one that's really deserving of our full trust and commitment. Thank you.
Let us go into this world warmed by the very presence of God. Go in safety, for there is no place that God has not already been. Go in joy, for Jesus has already gone ahead of us, and we gladly follow him. And go in confidence, for we are kept in God's care. Go as Christ's disciples and follow in his steps of ministry. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.